like you to just take your Bibles this morning and turn to, to John 17. One of the things that we talked about as we began this study of Jesus' high priestly prayer, that these words were not so much uh, an instruction manual on how to pray, though I believe in reading this prayer, we will come to a better understanding of how we ought to pray. Uh, but more than anything, what we hear in these words of Jesus just hours before he is arrested, put on trial, and ultimately crucified is the heart of our Heavenly Father. We hear uh, in his prayer for us, uh, his desire for us, his love for us, uh, again, his, his heart for his people. And, uh, and last week, I know that Neil uh, preached uh, on joy, having joy in the Lord, Christ uh, says he wants his joy to be fulfilled uh, in us. And as he has said a couple of times, I'm going to be talking this morning about this whole idea of, of holiness. You know, there, if you look through the Word of God from Old Testament through the New Testament, uh, you will find countless descriptions of or characteristics of God. All right, we call them God's attributes, all right, God's nature. And we've, we've done a couple of studies here uh, in this church on the attributes uh, of God. But I, I believe if we were really pressed, uh, we would see that the, the most spoken of attribute of God in the Bible is His holiness, all right? Uh, and of course, because God is holy, we His people are to be Holy, And that's really what Jesus is going to pray about in the few verses that we're going to look at. John 17, we're going to be reading in just a moment, verses 14 through 17. And I've entitled this message, Our Hope for Holiness. The reality is that this sanctification that is taking place in the lives of God's people uh, is a progressive thing. It's an ongoing thing. Maybe that's a better way to describe it. There is a very real sense in which God has sanctified us. We can say that with confidence. I have been sanctified. And that word simply means that God has set me apart for himself. Uh, and if you're a Christian today, that's what has happened to you. God has set you apart. And as we're going to read in just a moment, one of the things that he has set us apart from is this world, the world in which we live. We've been set apart from the world in order to serve God. That's why we say that God has, no, has not only set us apart, but he has set us apart for himself. And, and the ongoing process of now having been set apart is this sanctification, this really becoming the holy people that God has declared us to be. Uh, I've mentioned over the years that one of the words that I think we have a hard time uh, thinking of ourselves as is saints, right? Most Christians kind of duck their head and, you know, think, well, you know, that, that word's kind of reserved for just a few elite uh, Christians. But that's not true at all. Uh, to be a saint of God is to be a sanctified one, a sacred one, one that God has set apart for himself. So if you're a Christian today, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are a saint of God. You're a holy one. Uh, and again, I hope that brings you comfort today. But I also know, because I know in my own life, that often my words, my actions, my behavior, my thought life, my just the way I live my life doesn't always line up with what I know is God's desire for me. 
And so there's always this longing to truly be the holy man that God has set me apart to be. And I trust that that's the same for you. Well, this passage of scripture that we're going to look at, this prayer of Jesus for us, is our hope for holiness. Now, I'm using that word hope the way the Bible uses that word hope, all right? The reality is you are holy and you will be holy because God is doing this work in us. So when I say our hope for holiness, what I mean by that is that as Christians, we have the assurance that we will be made holy. God is at work in your life, and as Paul teaches us, in Romans 8, 28 and 29, those who are called according to God's purpose are also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So again, if you are one who's been called to God's purpose, again, if you're a Christian today, then you are predestined to be conformed to the image of God's son. Paul expresses his own hope in this principle and his own hope for holiness. In Philippians 1.6, Neil, I believe, quoted this verse last week where Paul says, I am sure of this. There, there's how the word hope is used in the Bible. Paul could have said, I hope. But what he said was, or the way that it's translated is, I am sure of this. Church, you can be sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The thing that we're looking forward to is the return of Jesus, right? And on that day, uh, what a glorious day it will be. Uh, we will be, be made fully holy in him. The Bible says we'll see him as he is. We'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. And so, the other thing that should give us hope today is, again, this is Jesus' prayer, right? This is the prayer of God the Son to God the Father. He is praying for the sanctification, the holiness of of his people. And we know that when God the Son prays, God the Father hears and responds. So our hope for holiness is indeed a confident assurance. Uh, we can just rest in the fact that we will be sanctified. God is making us holy. And what Jesus does in this prayer is he he relates or he couches this idea of holiness in, in several contexts. And, and we're just going to look at three of them. The first that we're going to look at is God's word. Uh, there is an aspect of our holiness that is very much related to or is couched in our relationship to God's word. He also speaks of this world, God's world. You know, we live in God's world, right? The Bible says that, that the earth is the Lord's. But we're given a warning here about our relationship to the world. And then the very last thing he prays is the emphasis that we're really noting this morning in verse 17. He says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. That's the, the prayer that Jesus prays for us. So all three of these contexts, the word of God, this, this world of God's, and the work of sanctification, the work that God is doing, have everything to say about our hope. For holiness. So let me read these verses to you and then we'll, we'll pray and we'll kind of dig in here and see, see what the Lord reveals to us. Verse 14 of John chapter 17. Jesus says or prays, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. 
They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Let's pray, and we'll look at these together. Father, we are so thankful today to be able to open your word in the freedom of this place. And and Lord, know that you are here to speak to our hearts. You have given us the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. Father, uh, we just, again, we praise you for that. And Lord, what we want to be is we want to be the holy men and women of God that you have called us to be. And we know that that there's still a work to be done in our lives. And Father, we thank you for the very real sense in which we have been made holy. You've declared us righteous. You have indeed already set us apart for yourself. But we pray that in these days as we live our lives out in the world, that you would help us to be conscious of this ongoing work and our part in it. So Lord, encourage us today, strengthen us, and we'll give you praise and thanks for it all. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. First thing I want to talk to you about is just this simple context of our relationship to his word. I have given them your word. Jesus says. And of course, the word given there means exactly what we would expect it to mean. Uh, Jesus had given them, meaning his disciples, meaning believers, and again, meaning us. All right, we can can understand this that Jesus is praying for us. I've given them your church, uh, the word. I've given them your word. And, And he did that through his preaching. And teaching through his through his preaching and teaching through the life that he lived and the ministry that he engaged in, Jesus had conveyed the Father's word to his disciples, and of course we know that the response to the word of God was was well, it was as varied as the people that that sat under it. Uh, some decided that it was too hard; they couldn't take any more, and they left. Uh, others embraced it for a time and then grew weary with it, and they left. But there were a few, just as there are still a few today, uh, who had received his words. Uh, Earlier, Jesus had said back in uh, the Gospel of John here, he says in in this 17th chapter that we've already been looking at, he said, for I've given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know the truth. And I believe, again, that's speaking of... Christians, the believers, the church of us. Jesus has given us the words that the Father had given to him, and we've received them, and we've come to know the truth. So, that word given, I've given him your word. Jesus faithfully proclaimed, taught, preached the word of God. He faithfully lived out the word of God. Not only did he tell us the truth, but he constantly displayed the truth. And by the way, uh, this is, in the Greek culture, to know the truth and to not do the truth was an an absurd thought. Uh, For the people of Jesus' day, to know the truth meant to do the truth. And and I, I, I am convinced that there are many people in the church today, they want to know the truth, but they don't have any desire to really do the truth. And church, if we're not doing the truth, it's an indication that we really truly don't know the truth. We've not received the words of God and come to know the truth, as Jesus says 
back in verse 8 of chapter 17. So, Jesus has given us the word of the Father. But this idea of our having received it, or, or him having given what had been given to him, talks about another aspect of that word, given. And it, and it could mean entrusted. He, he could have said there, I have entrusted your word to them. Not just given it to them, but I've entrusted it to them. You entrusted it to me, and now I've entrusted it to them. And of course, the Bible teaches us that now, as those who have been entrusted with the Word of God, our responsibility is to entrust it to other faithful men and women who will, in, 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 who will just carry on this process. So we have this, this ongoing relationship to the Word of God. Jesus has given it to us, entrusted it to us, just as the Father had given it to him and entrusted it to him. So there's a couple of things that I just want to point out about this idea of our relationship to the Word of God. First of all, what we need to understand is this. God's Word, because it is God's Word, is therefore the truth. We live in a world that is just on the brink, if it hasn't already done it, of denying the very existence of truth. Everything is just relative in the world in which we live. There is no truth. We may say that, well, you have your truth and I have my truth, but ultimately that means there isn't any truth, right? Again, kind of getting ahead of myself here. That, that is the reality of the world in which we are called to live out the truth, a world that doesn't even acknowledge that there is such a thing as truth. And sadly, even within the church, if we're not careful, this, this philosophy of the world kind of seeps in. Uh, there was a movement not too long ago in theological circles that, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, it could just be called a theology of uncertainty. Uh, theologians claim to be so humble that we really can't for certain know what God is saying to us. And so if we can't know for certain what God is saying to us, then we really can't get up and proclaim the word of God, thus saith the Lord let me tell you, we can know for certain what God has said to us. We can know that it's the truth. We can know that what God has said to us in his word can be trusted. In other words, we need to have faith in God's word, right? We need to trust what God has said. We need to stand on his promises. That's what is being said here. God's word is God's word, and therefore, <clears throat> it's truth. It's not the word of man. You know, men can lie. Men can set out to deceive, and they often do, but not God. Uh, God wants us to know the truth, and so he has given us his word. His word is truth, and we must trust it. You know, when the Bible talks about trusting, trusting in God, trusting in God's word, Again, it's not just, and, and the, by the way, in the, in the New Testament, the words trust and believe are the same Greek word, all right? <clears throat> when we say we believe in God's word, we need to understand that what we are claiming is not just some mental exercise, all right? I mean, that's part of it. We have to use our minds, the minds that God has given us, to read, to understand, to embrace, to grasp God's word. But really to truly have faith or to believe in God's word doesn't stop with just this mental activity. 
it, it moves on, again, as we said, to the doing of it, all right? To the living it out. Living in accordance with what God's word has said. When we believe in our hearts and then live out the truth that we have believed in our hearts, now we're truly believing, truly having faith in God's word, trusting God's word. So Christ has come and he has given us the word of God, which is truth. Therefore, we must trust it. And then because it's God's word, all right, again, this isn't just anybody's word. The words that Jesus has given us are the words of Almighty God. They are authoritative. And therefore, we must obey it. Uh, Again, I just want you to think about your own life. When you read the Word of God, when you hear the Word of God proclaimed, when you see the commands that God has given us to love one another as Christ has loved us, is there a determination in your heart to obey that command? The Word of God is authoritative. It's not there for us to just kind of think about. Not there for us to peruse and decide how we want to live or what parts of this we want to believe. The Word of God is authoritative. We're to do it. We're to obey it. It's His Word. It's true. It's authoritative. We must obey it. And then a third aspect of this relationship to God's Word. Jesus says, I've given them your Word. God's Word is a gift from God to us. All right? Now, we learned earlier in this passage of Scripture, as Jesus prays, that we, the people of God, are a gift from God to His Son right? We're the people that God has given to his son. And and the word means exactly the same thing here. The word that we have been given is God's word given to us. The word of God is a gift from almighty God to us. Now let me just ask you to think about this. Is the word of God a gift that you treasure, that you value? You know, one of the things, really one of the dangers that we encounter here in the West is just the easy accessibility of the Word of God. I mean, we, we have Bibles all over our house, don't we? Multiple copies, probably in multiple translations, on our shelves, on our coffee table, in our car. The, the Word of God is, is easily accessible to us. And because it's so easily accessible, I believe it also becomes easy to neglect. Perhaps not as precious. We need to remember that this Word, this isn't just a book. You know, I've got books on my shelf here at the office and at home that I, I, I love. I love to read those books and, and almost feel like you, you develop a relationship with the characters of the books and with the author of the books as you read these words. Do you feel like that when you read the Word of God? God's Word is His gift to us. These are words that He has given to us, I I believe he thinks they're important. They're important for us to know. I mean, the truth is nobody loves you like the Father, right? And he wants you to know the words that Jesus has given to us, his words. So God's word is a a gift. We, We should treasure it. One of the things that often happens to us in the Christian life is that, well, when we come to know Christ in the beginning, we're all excited, right? We can't wait to find out more about this Lord that loved us and gave himself 
for us. I can remember the first Bible that I was given after becoming a Christian. It was a Ryrie Study Bible. And, and I, I have that Bible on my shelf. Matter of fact, it's, it's in my office right now. And you can pick that Bible up. And I mean, on every page, there are highlighted texts. There are notes. I mean, I carried that Bible with me everywhere I went for years and read. Every spare moment that I had, I would, I would be reading that Bible and highlighting. And I would take that Bible to church with me and to Bible study and to Sunday school. And, and I would read it in my own personal time and and. You know, as time went by, I didn't carry that Bible with me as much as I used to. And I think most of us can relate to that, right? The excitement of the newness of Christ and His Word and what it means to our lives. And then as the time goes by, we kind of, again, we feel like, oh, we've, we've looked at that before. We've read that before. And again, I just want to warn you. Don't, don't allow that to happen in your life. And the truth is, when you begin to spend less and less time in God's Word, it just gets easier to spend even less and less time than that. But when you determine that you're going to spend time every day with the Lord, and whether it's early in the morning, you know, I, I don't know that I would prescribe a best time. I know for me that my best time to be with the Lord is early in the morning. You may have a better best time than that. But whatever your best time of the day is, give it to the Lord. Open your word, his word, and, and just hear from him and, uh, and grow. So if we're going to become holy, and we are, then we've got to have a relationship to the word of God. We've got to trust it because it's God's word. We have to obey it because God is our authority. We have to treasure it because it's his gift to us. And then, just on the heels of that statement, I've given them your word. Look what Jesus says. It doesn't even seem that it should follow. He says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. What in the world would God's word being given us have to do with the world hating us? But obviously, there's a lot that it has to do with. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. And I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And then he repeats that, that phrase, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. So there's some things I want you to see here about our relationship to the world, to God's world. This is God's world, as we've said. And I want you to always remember that in spite of the, the things that I'm about to say. This is God's word, word and God's world that we live in. The world has hated them he says, of us, because they are not of the world. First thing I want you to understand about our relationship with the world is this. We must come to terms with the fact that the world hates us. Now, we don't even like to think that thought. As a matter of fact, if we think about it, we might say, well, that's not true, is it? The world doesn't hate me. I'm, I'm well-respected in the world. I'm liked. Jesus says, the world hates us. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world. Uh, and again, the way the, the word world is being used here, it's, I've defined it before, it's that organized system that stands in opposition to God's word and his will, his people, his church. 
course, Jesus has already warned us a couple of chapters earlier in John 15, 18, and 19. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So again, we get back to this idea as Jesus prays for our sanctification. He says, look, I've sanctified you. I've taken you out of the world. I have set you aside from the world for myself and the ministry that I've entrusted to you. And because of that, the world hates you. Jesus has called us out of this world, out of darkness, into his light, so that we might become ministers of the gospel. And our ministry, as we are going to see, is here in this world. And because of that, the world hates us. I've shared with you the story a couple of times over the years of a trip that I took several years ago, and we had a group from the church that went down to Lee Park on one of the gay pride parade days. And We'd gotten down there kind of early, and I decided that I would just take a stroll through the park and see what was set up. There were tents and booths and people everywhere, and I was just walking through the park. I wasn't saying a word, wasn't talking to anybody, didn't discuss why I was there with anybody. But suddenly, I found myself surrounded by four police officers who ordered me to leave the park, informed me that this was a private event, that I was not invited, and that I had to go. And I said, fine, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, to go. I said, would you mind? I said, my 15-year-old daughter is right over there. Can I just go let her know that we need to leave the park? They would not let me go talk to my daughter. They said, if you take one step in their direction, we're going to arrest you and take you to jail. Now, the question is, why was I suddenly targeted as this enemy of the event? There's only one reason I can think of. As I walked through the park... I had my Bible under my arm. What distinguished me as one who was not welcome was the Word of God. And that was all it took. I, I wasn't reading God's Word. I wasn't preaching God's Word. I wasn't sharing the gospel with anybody to my shame. But I had the Bible under my arm. And that designated me as an enemy to the things that were going on that day in Lee Park, as one who was not wanted nor welcome. And as the police escorted me out of the park, people began to applaud. I realized that day, the world does not love me. Thankful that you love me. And we should be thankful that we love one another. But church, the world does not love us. The world hates us because we are not of the world. So, we need to come to terms with that. Second, we need to understand that for now, our place is in this world. Now, you know, we teach and believe around here that God is going to recreate this world, right? Uh, the idea that this world is not our home is one that we need to understand that has some nuance to it. The world as it is now is not our home. One day, God's going to resurrect his world. He's going he's to make it perfect, and, and it is going to be our home. But for now, this world is a place that, that hates us. This organized system that is opposed to God is also opposed to God's people, us. It will persecute us. I mean, Paul warns Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will experience persecution. So we're going to be persecuted. We're going to be hated. That's kind of what to be hated means. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to be thrown out of places simply because we're a people of the word and our, the word of God is not welcome and therefore because we're people of the word, we're not welcome either. 
So Jesus prays, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. So we are in this world, Jesus says, and for now we are not to isolate ourselves from the world. The reality is we're not to isolate ourselves from those people that hate us. Again, we have a mission to go to them and to carry the word of God to them. So we were right. I remember the response of one person who heard me tell the story about being thrown out of the park was this. Well, he shouldn't have been in that park anyway. Oh, yeah, I should have been. I'm an ambassador of Christ. I have a responsibility to carry the gospel to a lost and dying world. We're to go into every nation, the Bible says. We're to preach the gospel to every people group. We're supposed to get out there. We're not to isolate ourselves from the world. And Jesus says, I'm not going to ask you, Father, to take them out of the world, but just protect them from the evil one. The world is where we live and serve the Lord. Again, it's a dark place. It's a dangerous place. And yet it's the place that God has called us to serve him. Jesus commands us, right? The Great Commission, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to every creature, to the whole creation. We have a relationship to this world. Third, we must be aware that the world lives under the sway of Satan. Ultimately, God is sovereignly in control of everything, right? There's not one thing that happens in our lives or in anyone's lives that God's not in control of. And don't ever think that that's not the case. God is always in control. He is seated firmly upon his throne and he rules the universe. He rules his creation. But the world in which we live is currently under the sway of Satan. Three times in John's gospel, Jesus refers to Satan as the ruler of this world. Paul calls Satan the god of this world in 2 Corinthians, the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2. And then in John, 1 John 5.19, John says this, the whole world is under the power of the evil one. And by the way, there are several ways that this verse is often translated. Of course, I read from the ESV, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I believe that's the proper translation. Some says that you just keep them from evil. Uh, evil is out there because the evil one is out there. And Satan wants to thwart the purposes of God in our lives, in the life of this church, in the lives of Christians throughout the world. And most of the world lives under the sway of Satan, but not us. Not us. What we need to always remember about that is that though Satan is indeed a powerful enemy, he's not as powerful as God. You know, if you think that somehow we've got two superpowers, God and Satan, and they are somehow equal and they're just out there pounding it out in battle, that's not the way it works. God is in absolute control of Satan. Uh, Satan can't do anything without God's permission. So... The world lives under the sway of Satan, but God is more powerful uh, than our great enemy. Fourth, though we are in the world, and this is what we've heard so many times before, though we are in the world, we are not of the world. Just as we are not supposed to isolate ourselves from the world, we are also not to assimilate into it, all right? We're not to become one 
with the world. We become one with Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is not of the world. Sometimes it's difficult to not be of the world. Matter of fact, all the time it's difficult to not be of the world. We, we don't want to be different. But we are. Not weird different. But different. People who believe the word of God. You know, in most corners of the world... If you tell somebody that you believe that God flooded the earth and that the only survivors were Noah and his family, you'd be laughed out of the room. But we believe that, don't we? Because the Bible tells us that that's what happened. So we are in this world. We are not of this world. We are not to be like the world. Paul writes in Colossians 1.13 that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We've been delivered from the world. This domain of darkness where Satan holds sway over the majority of people. And we've been transformed into the kingdom of God's son, Jesus Christ. In Romans 12, 2, a verse we're all familiar with, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be pressed into the mold of the world. The idea here is that the world is trying to make you look like it, to make you think like it thinks, behave like it behaves, do things the way that it does things, accomplish your goals and purposes in a worldly way, the way the world accomplishes goals and purposes. But Paul says, don't do that. Don't let the world press you into its mold as much as it may try, as hard as it may be to withstand but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, getting right back to this whole idea of having a right relationship with the Word of God. It's the Word of God that transforms our mind and keeps us from being pressed into the mold of the world. So, we are in the world, but not of the world. We no longer think the way the world thinks. And I just want you to think about that with me for a moment. One thing that is absolutely clear in my mind about what took place in my life in those days immediately following my salvation, in those moments immediately following my salvation, is that I suddenly began to think in a manner that I had never thought before. I didn't think the same way I thought before I became a Christian. The truth is, all those who are truly the Lord's don't think the way the world thinks. We no longer believe the things that the world believes. I mentioned, you know, much of the world believes that there is no such thing as truth. We believe that there's a truth, don't we? Jesus said, I'm the truth. You'll know the truth, he said. The truth will set you free. We believe that there's truth. The world doesn't believe that there's truth. So we no longer believe the things that the world believes. We no longer live the way the world lives. When you came to know Christ, did your life not change radically? I know for some of you that were saved early on as children, the change that took place wasn't as radical as somebody who's saved in adulthood like I was. But let me tell you, for every one of us, the Bible says that as Christians, we no longer live for ourselves. Everybody that doesn't know Christ, that's what they live for. They live for themselves. But as Christians, we no longer live for ourselves, but rather we live for the one who loved us and gave himself 
for us. That's, that's the big difference in the lives of Christians and non-Christians. Non-Christians live for themselves. They may do what we would characterize as good things, but they do those things for themselves. They may do things that we would characterize as bad things or sins. They do those things for themselves. Christians, we no longer live for ourselves. We live for God. We live for the Lord Jesus Christ. We live for the one that loved us and gave himself for us. We don't live the way the world lives. And we are no longer to live for the things that the world lives for. You know, all you got to do is turn on a radio or a television, pick up a magazine, and you will find out pretty quick that, that, that the whole world lives for pleasure, comfort, wealth, fame. Again, church, that's not what we're to live for. You know, the reality is God may give you wealth. God may even give you fame in some form or fashion. God certainly wants us to be happy, to experience pleasure. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a certain degree of comfort in our lives. But those aren't the things that we live for. We live to love one another, to serve one another, to honor the Lord with our lives. That's what we live for now. So we no longer live for what the world lives for. And we could go on and on about this relationship to the world this morning, but we'll, we'll stop there. So if we're going to be the holy people of God. If that work of sanctification, if we're going to, to be engaged in it, then it'll demand a relationship with God's word and it'll demand that we understand that we are to have a certain relationship with the world. And then finally, this whole idea of sanctification, this work, our relationship. What is our relationship to the work of sanctification? Jesus simply prays, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And I, <clears throat> sanctification is the work of God. Now we could stop right there. That's a, that's a good definition. Sanctification is the work of God. It is the work of God, however, transforming those who have been declared positionally sanctified or holy into those who are practically holy, into practitioners. God has declared us righteous. We are His saints. We have been set aside for Himself. And now for the rest of our life, as we know it now, this work of sanctification is taking place. We are becoming outwardly, practically, what God has made us to be inwardly. Uh, God is conforming us to be like himself, to be like his son, Jesus Christ. You know, we tend to think of sanctification as being a New Testament concept, but let me read from Leviticus 20, verse 26, where God says this to his people. He says, you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. So clear back at Leviticus, God says, look, I'm a holy God and you're my people and you're going to be a holy people because I've separated you from the other people. I've separated you from the world. I've taken you out of this world and made you like and am making you like me. This relationship to the work of sanctification kind of takes us back to the, to the Word of God. God has given us His Word, 
to bring about our sanctification. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. So this idea of truth sanctifying us, coming to an understanding, a knowledge of, an understanding of, a grasping of the truth. Again, it takes us right back to God's word. Where do we find truth? Well, we find truth in God's word. Your word, Jesus says, is truth. In John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said this, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will sanctify you. The truth will continue this transformation to the image of Christ so our relationship to the work of God is cooperation. We, we immerse ourselves in God's Word. We sit under the preaching and teaching of God's Word. We read our Bibles. We pray. We study. And as we do that, we become increasingly like our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the very song that we sang this morning, when, when the eyes of the world look at us, what do we want them to see? We want them to see Jesus all around us. We want them to see Jesus in us. So if we're going to be holy, we have to have a right relationship to his word, a right relationship to this world, and a right relationship to the work of sanctification that God is doing. So let me just ask you these questions. How would you characterize your relationship to the word of God? Hot, cold, lukewarm, frequent, not so frequent? Do you treasure God's word? What about your relationship to the world? You know, the Bible's pretty firm on this issue of the world. Jesus actually said, those who want to be friends with the world, they're not my friends. The world hates us. We need to realize it. Are you engaged in God's work of sanctification? Are you you reading God's Word? Are you immersing yourself in the Word of God? The whole point of this portion of his prayer and this message this morning is just to say this. We need to determine to be the holy people of God. We serve a holy God, and we should want to be like our Heavenly Father. We need to determine to live holy lives so that we rightly represent our Holy Father in this world. Mm -hmm.